Could you please stand for the reading of God's Word? We're going to be reading from Acts chapter 26. I'm going to read verses 22 and 23. Acts chapter 26, verses 22 and 23. But God has helped me to this very day, so I stand here and testify to small and great. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead, would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. Lord, I pray that you speak to us this morning. We understand, as always, Lord, that this is your word, and that you work and you use your word to accomplish your purposes. Please speak to us in the name of Jesus, we pray. And we all say, you may be seated. Good morning, familia. He has risen. This is by far one of my favorite Sundays of the year, partly because I get to preach for about two hours. <laughs> I get to enjoy this. Not, not, not true. Hour and a half. But um, I've been preaching uh, Easter's messages for the last eight years, and so I was looking at, you know, through my notes and thinking about what to talk about today. Uh, I realized that for the last six years, I've always used the same phrase every year when I preach on this specific day. Uh, and the phrase is that the resurrection changes everything. Um, and I was trying to think something better than that. And something that would improve that sentence. And after much thinking and praying and reading and studying, I realized that I, sti I still like that sentence. So my statement today is that the resurrection actually changes everything. And that there is a reason why we gather today and we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I think that the resurrection changes everything, not just because Jesus resurrected, but because of the implications of it. So we could know anything you want about the resurrection, but if we don't stop to think and embrace the implications of the resurrection, then we are actually not celebrating anything. So tonight, uh, today, what I want to do is I, wanna, I want us to walk through, through, uh, through these two verses, um, and it's going to be really quick, and, that, and then I want to spend a few minutes uh, thinking about the implications of the resurrection. So the text which is read is... Um, uh, it's one of Paul's longest uh, comprehensive speeches that you, you find in the Scripture. And, he's, uh, and in that passage, Acts chapter 26, you'll find his personal testimony. And he describes how he used to persecute the church and how and, and his way and, and the Damascus road, he got converted to Christianity. And in the same passage, he says that he was commissioned to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, what is interesting, though, about that passage or that chapter is that he talks about the resurrection quite a lot. And it's part of the reason why we wanted to use that passage for today. Um, so let's start with verse 22, because right there in Acts chapter 26, verse 22, as part of his testimony, he says this, but God has, has helped me to this very day, so I stand here to testify. He says to testify to small and great alike, 
Um, and stop there for a second because the word testify is a very important word. It's a word that has a double meaning. It could mean to confirm or to affirm something that you believe. But the second meaning of the word testify means that you believe it in such a way that you are willing to die for that belief. That's what the word testify means. So what Paul is saying in one word is that he believes in the resurrection in such a way not only that he is willing to affirm it and confirm it and speak about it, but that he is willing to die for it. Now, the second part of the verse, in verse 22, he actually says that he is not preaching anything new. That his message is not a new message. It's a message that you find even in the Old Testament. That's why it says that the prophets and even Moses talked about this. Now, when you go to verse 23, you see exactly what he's talking about. And he's talking about here the Messiah, Jesus, who suffered, meaning that he died, and that he was the first to rise from the dead. He's talking about the resurrection. And then he calls this message the message of light, meaning that if there's one message that changes people and changes everything, is the message of Jesus dying and resurrecting. What I want you to see here, here at the end of the verse is that it says that that message is for all people, the Jews and the Gentiles alike. This is a unifying message. This is a message that brings people together that they would never be together otherwise. And it's the message of Jesus' death, and in specific, Jesus' resurrection. Now, in these two verses, we find four things about the resurrection. And I need you to pay attention to those four things really well, because the resurrection changes everything. Number one, it says that Jesus and his resurrection was at the fulfillment of Old Testament promises. So the fact that Jesus resurrected proves that the Old Testament was right, and it proves that Jesus is the Messiah. Number two, it tells us that because Jesus was the first one to resurrect, he is actually in his resurrection starting a new chapter in the history of the world. It was the inauguration of a new chapter in the history of the world. Number three, it says that because Jesus resurrected, that resurrection guarantees that all Christians, those that have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, we will all be resurrected as well. And number four, it tells you that not only we're going to be resurrected, but that the whole creation will experience the power of the resurrection. And he's talking about the second coming of Jesus. This is what is interesting, though, about this last point here. Is that when you look for the word resurrection in the Bible, both in the Old and in the New Testament, you find other words that are synonyms of the word resurrection. For example, the word Restoration. That when Jesus resurrected and says that he's going to come back to resurrect the Christian church, 
He's also seeking the restoration of people and the restoration of creation. The Bible, when it talks about resurrection, talks, about, it talks in terms of a renewed kingdom, a place and a time in which we will all experience our freedom from corruption, both emotionally, physically, and spiritually. One of my favorite passages in the Bible, and I know that pastors say that all the time, but this is true. <laughs> Colossians chapter 1, verses 18 to 20, says this. That Jesus is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. And then he says that the reason why God allowed that and did that was because Jesus, the whole, um, his, his whole fullness dwells in him. But notice his mission and purpose, that through him, he will reconcile all things to himself, things on earth and things on heaven, making peace through the blood shed on the cross. You know, resurrection is a synonym of the word reconciliation. It's a synonym of the word restoration. It's a synonym of the word renewed kingdom. It's a synonym of everything that you have dreamed of. It's a synonym of everything that is beautiful and perfect. Reconciliation, restoration, resurrection means that God makes everything right. That God will make everything right. That because Jesus died and resurrected, you have been accepted. You have been loved. You have been received. You have been justified. You have been sanctified. You have been forgiven. God sees you through Jesus in his resurrection. And because of your faith as something completely new and things are going to get better. You get to experience and will experience complete freedom. That's the reason why 1 John chapter 3 says that we're going to be like Jesus. We have no idea what that feels like, you know? We've never been in a place in which sin is not present. We never had any kind of relationship in which sin is not present. We never had any kind of experience in which sin is not present. And yet the resurrection guarantees that all is going to go away. And only the things that are beautiful, perfect, and eternal will remain. Revelation chapter 21 says that God is making, making, present, progressive, all things new. That's why we're celebrating the resurrection. That's why the resurrection changes everything. N.T. Wright puts it this way. Because of the resurrection... And when Jesus comes back to make everything new, there is going to be this moment in which heaven and earth come together in perfect harmony. That's because of the resurrection. That's what Paul believes. That's why he testifies. That's why he proclaims. And that's why he's willing to die for that. That's the simple explanation of the resurrection. Now, I want us to spend a few minutes uh, thinking about the implications of that resurrection. If there's one thing that I've learned as a Christian, not even as a pastor, but as a Christian, 
is that if you learn anything from a scripture, but if you don't think of the implications, it's just information. You could have the best theology in the world, the best doctrines, but if you don't think of the implications and how that belief affects your life, it's just information. And I don't want us to walk away today thinking, knowing just about the resurrection. I want us to think the implications of that because that changes the way we live. So here's first implication. If Christ resurrected, then the future matters. Then we are called to think and meditate and embrace what the future looks like. And the more we embrace what the future looks like, the more we are affected by that. I want to give you an illustration so you understand what that means. Let's imagine that there are two women that have the same age, the same socioeconomic status, the same educational level, the same temperament, and you hire them both to work for you. And their job is to be part of this assembly line, um, and all they have to do is put part A into the slot or part B. That's all they have to do. And after they finish, they will grab this complete piece and give it to somebody else. And then they start over again. And the only thing that you require of these two women is to do that over and over and over again. And the only thing that you require of these people is to do that for 10 hours a day, six times a week until they retire. That's the only thing you ask. Well, a month goes by. And remember, these two ladies are working in identical rooms uh, with identical lightning, with the same temperature, the same ventilation, doing the same job, taking the same breaks, everything the same. The difference, though, is that you tell one lady that at the end of the day, she's, at the end of the year, she's going to make $30,000 a year. That doesn't sound like a good deal, isn't it? You tell the second lady that she's going to make $30 million a year. At the end of that month, the lady that is making $30,000 comes back and says, this is terrible. I, I can't stand what we're doing right now. This is way too boring, not enough money. I'm wasting my life here. Interesting enough that the other lady, the one that is making $30 million, comes in. And she says, yeah, this job is boring. It is super tiring. It is painful. I just don't mind doing it. Do you know what makes a difference? Their future. What makes the difference is the expectation of the future. We are all future-oriented people. Whether you admit it or not, we are all future-oriented people. And whatever we think and we embrace about the future greatly affects the way you live your life today. 
It greatly affects the way you deal with your life today. You know what I realize is that we, we usually don't, don't think in those terms, but we are all future-oriented people. That's why you raised your kids the way you did. And that's why you're raising your kids the way you do. Because in your mind, you want a better future for them. That's part of the reason why we believe in investment. Because we have our future in mind. That's part of the reason why I think many of us struggle with fears. Because we are afraid of what the future might bring. But Christianity offers something so beautiful, so perfect, so amazing. Because it tells us that there's a future. And you ought to be a future-oriented people. That because of the resurrection, you have an image of full restoration of everything. A full restoration that is guaranteed because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A, a kingdom in which everything is complete, made, everything is complete and made new. A, an ex, a future in which you will experience and creation will experience complete freedom from corruption. A future in which you will experience complete joy and peace. A future in which all the longings in your heart will be completely satisfied. A future in, we, in which you will experience fear no more. Sin no more. Struggle no more. Resentment no more. Suffering no more. And whatever, see how whatever you think of the future affects the way you live your life today. See, um, the future matters. It really matters. The second implication is not only the future matters, but because it affects the present, then the present matters. I said it three times already. If, if you embrace this message of what the resurrection guarantees for you, then that affects the way you live your life today. See, the resurrection reminds me that there's more to life than this. That I'm never going to find here what God has in store for me there. See, the resurrection reminds me that God is doing something here, but will do something even more beautiful there. Therefore, the resurrection is an invitation it's an invitation for us to contribute to what the Lord is already doing and what the Lord will do. See, if, if the future of the church, it's a future in which everything is made perfect and beautiful again, your job if you are a believer, my job as a Christian is to contribute to what the Lord will bring. Listen up, my brothers and sisters, both spiritually and physically. See, we have to remember that when Jesus resurrected, he resurrected in a physical form. And we have to remember that when we talk about what is going to happen later on, it's described as a city, the new heavens and the new earth. It's a physical place. 
What that means is that the people that believe in the resurrection of, and, is, and is what is yet to come, we should not and could not be indifferent to what is happening in our world today. Listen, if you struggle with that, all you have to do is read Leviticus, three chapters in the Bible. Leviticus 19, Isaiah chapter 58, and read the Sermon on the Mount. And you see that we do have a responsibility as Christians and as the church to do anything in our power for people's souls, spiritual, and for people's condition, physical. One of the beauties about the resurrection and what guarantees that it, about what guarantees that it's coming is that it reminds me that everything that I'm doing here today matters. And that the Lord uses what we do today, even if it's a tiny little thing, he uses it, he uses it for the restoration of his kingdom. There's a famous story that you probably heard about by uh, Tolkien. It's called Live by the Needle. Um, and it's the story about this artist that, that wanted to paint this beautiful tree. Uh, and he's got this picture, an idea of what the beautiful tree is supposed to look like. And he starts by painting one leaf, only one. And he's thinking about the details. And he's trying to put everything together. And he thinks about everything that is going to make this leaf beautiful so later on he could paint the tree. But life is complicated, so he gets distracted. And people are requesting for his help. And he's so uh, distracted that he never got to finish what he started, and he passed away. And when he goes to heaven, um, in the distance, he sees this beautiful tree. The tree that he had seen in his vision before. And he goes to see it, and he sees that the leaf, the only leaf, leaf he painted was there. And that day he realized that he never got to paint the whole picture because that's God's business. His job was to do this tiny little thing. The future matters, the present matters. Implication number three, because the Christ resurrected, the good is not as good. That while we are here, we know that there's nothing here that can fully satisfy the longings of our hearts. I mean, I wish that we would all believe that. We would live completely different. Even if things go right, even if you don't have problems, even if your kids are amazing and awesome, things are not as good as, as they should be. The reason why I'm mentioning this is because if there's something that has affected the Christian thinking is the progressive thinking of secular people in which we think that because we, are, we have advanced in technology and in science and we got ideals, everything is going to go right. The problem with technology is that as good as it is, it has created isolation. The problem with science, as good as it is, is that it doesn't fix moral issues. The problem with our ideas is that we are the problem. Things here are not as good as we want them to be. If Christ resurrected, on the other hand, for 
They're bad, he's not as bad. So on one end, you don't have permission to be hyper-optimistic about life. But on the other end, you don't have permission uh, to be hyper-pessimistic about life. Because if God is making all things new, you could always see what the Lord is doing even in the midst of darkness. So last week, I was talking to this young girl that has been going through a lot of things. Things that she cannot control. Things that she hasn't been able to fix. And she was telling me about this friend she has that she's going through the same thing. And when she's telling me this, I got a little bit emotional because you don't want to see young people suffer. Actually, you don't want to see anybody suffer. Not even your enemy. But I got emotional. But then she says this. This is coming out of a mouth of a 14-year-old girl. This is what she says. I think that God allowed this into my life. Because if I wouldn't have this, I would walk away from him. And I'm like, you should be a preacher. <laughs> See, this is the Christian life. That sometimes people say, you got to wait to see the light at the end of the tunnel. But that's not a Christian thing. We get to see the light through the tunnel. We get to experience grace in all unexpected places. The bad is not as bad. If Christ resurrected, number five, the fear of death has been defeated. If there's one thing that we all have in common, whether you admit it or not, is that we are afraid of dying. Because we know that dying is not natural. It was never part of God's design, you know? It feels that there's something unnatural when people die. And I think that there is two hints that uh, allows me to believe that or think about that. Number one is because we all want our, our life to last we, we all have this sense of transcendence, you know? That's part of the reason when, when people are about to pass away, they start thinking about the things that they didn't do. And they start questioning the relationships they didn't have. And they question whether or not they were generous enough and they loving enough. Because we know that death is not supposed to be what it is. It's not supposed to be part of our life. But the second reason why I think that, um, that we struggle with this is because relationships. We, we don't want to lose the people we love. So this is how uh, an author would put it. Real love wants to last. It never wants to be part of, uh, never wants to part from those we love. Death strips us from everything that makes life meaningful. I think that's part of the reason why Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, talks, uh, when he talks about death, he says that he's the ultimate or the last enemy. But this is where the resurrection is so beautiful. Because the resurrection guarantees that if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you will be resurrected with him again. 
and that you, the people you love, if they have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, they will be resurrected again. Actually, everyone will be resurrected, but not everyone will go to the same place. Now, when I think about this, I think about the family members and friends that don't have a rest, uh, saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, you know what that, that, what, that, that, what that does to me in my heart is that it pushes me even more to want to pray for them and share the gospel with them. You know why? Because I want them to experience heaven. And I want to be with them forever. See, the resurrection changes everything. And number six, if Christ resurrected then the best is yet to come. And I'm not saying that's just a cute phrase. It's true, the, re- the best is yet to come. That changes the way I deal with my frustrations. That gives me rest when I experience or we experience injustice and problems and struggles. So uh, a scholar in the 18, 1900s, Howard Thurman, I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce his last name, but, you know, I'm Hannibal. So, (laughs) it's an African-American scholar from Boston University, and he argued that what slaves had that allowed them to continue to survive, even in the midst of brutality, what allowed them to endure brutality is that they believed in the final judgment, God will take care of business. That's not my business. They believe that one day they will be reunited with their loved ones. They believed that the best is yet to come. And this is what he says. Their hope was not based on any circumstance within the walls of this world. It laid in the future of God. This hope enabled them To affirm a terrible right to live. See, the resurrection changes everything. It tells you that the future matters, the present matters, the good is not as good, the bad is not as bad, the fear of death has been defeated, and the best is yet to come. Do you believe that? That's what we celebrate today. That's what Jesus Christ guarantees. That's what his resurrection secures. This beautiful, perfect future that affects the way we live today. So let me finish by reading the famous words of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We will not all sleep, but we will, we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will raise imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? 
Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Amazing Lord, we are so grateful for the historical reality of the resurrection and for the guaranteed promise of the future. Please help us believe it and embrace it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And we all say,